I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thorough Talk. This is Thorough Bailey, and I sure hope you're out there protecting yourselves and staying safe. Obviously, the pandemic hasn't ended yet, so do what you need to do to stay safe. Um, And last week, we talked about how much we miss basketball, and and, and Josh, Josh, you said that... uh, the the three on the the horse tournament wasn't cutting it for you. No, and it got even worse. <laughs> on Thursday it was horrible. But it got better, didn't it? It got better. Yes, finally. Right? It got better because the last what was it? The last dance. The last dance came on. And I'm sure that probably the whole world was watching it. Oh yeah. Right? The great the story of the great Michael Jordan and and that uh, Chicago Bulls team. Um, which is really timely for today's episode because we're going to talk about teamwork, right? Because none of that happens if Michael Jordan, first of all, doesn't lead that team, but also doesn't include everybody. And and uh, our guest today had a cameo appearance in episode one, the big Mark Eaton, the big fella. Um, before I bring Mark on, let me say this there is no better probably um, example of teamwork if you're watching a basketball game and you don't know what's you don't know anybody on the team you can tell instantly you've got the scoreboard there but you're watching that game you can tell instantly the personalities of of the of the individual teammates you can tell which guy's probably the most selfish or which guy has the role of you know the score the role of the rebounder the role of the shot blocker uh, or the defensive player uh, so I'm excited to have Mark on because Mark was the epitome of teamwork back when we played with the Jazz uh, in the mid 80s and 90s uh, things were starting to happen for the first time for the Utah Jazz, and Mark Eaton was a big part of that. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Mark Eaton on board. Mark Eaton, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Big T. How are you today? I'm doing really good, man. I know you're staying safe and, and uh, keeping your loved ones safe during this this time. What have you been spending your time doing? Uh, well, uh, let's see. Yesterday I cleaned out the pasture with the tractor and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, I've been working on a new coaching program and uh, just trying to keep myself busy, watching a lot of TV, a lot of Netflix stuff, and uh, just trying to keep my mind busy because it's, uh, what are we, like at week seven now or something. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank goodness the weather's getting a little better. I got out and rode my bike the other day and probably go out again today because it looks like it's going to be nice. And um, uh, just trying to uh, keep our mental well-being together. I think that's the biggest challenge. <laughs> Were you able to watch some of The Last Dance? Um, I recorded it, but I, I had a, a, a Zoom call last night. Imagine that. More Zoom calls than you can ever imagine at this point in time. Um, but uh, So I'm going to watch it today. But uh, everybody was texting me and sending me pictures of myself on there and said I, and they, they complimented me for saying something profound about teamwork. I don't know what it was, but um, well, anyway, so I'll have to go back and listen to it today. Well, it was That's awesome it. for me, Mark, because I knew I was going to have you on today, and and our topic today is about teamwork. And uh, before I really get into asking you some in-depth questions, I want to talk about your latest book, The Four Commitments of a Winning Team, which you really break it down very well on um, what companies, what individuals can do as leaders uh, to have a winning team. And if you were kind of humor me for a minute, I'm going to read part of the foreword of this book. I met, Mark, okay. I met Mark Eaton in the summer of 1984. I had recently been drafted by the Utah Jazz and was invited to the banquet in Salt Lake City where the team was celebrating their Midwest Division Championship, the first in franchise history. I knew very little about the NBA and even less about the Utah Jazz. I arrived in town all eyes and ears. I didn't have the foggiest notion what to expect, especially since the locals had booed my selection at the draft a month earlier. Almost immediately, this mountain of a man, who I recognize as Mark Eaton, walked toward me. I had been around big people my whole life, but this guy blocked out the sun. I guess I expected him to be bashful about his size, slightly stooped, or a little awkward, but he was none of those things. I also thought the league's leading shot blocker would simply shake hands and move on. Mark is one of the very best teammates I ever had. He understood He would need every edge when facing the likes of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Ralph Sampson, and Hakeem Olajuwon. He was prepared for every practice. His preparation wasn't limited to watching film, scanning scouting reports, or making extra hook shots after practice. It was broader than that. He researched techniques that would help keep his body tuned up. He consumed foods that fueled his body and mind. He recognized the importance of getting enough sleep and developed a routine to ensure He was well-rested. In developing the four commitments, I became intensely aware of how connected we all are. What we do and and how we do it as a powerful impact on the success of those all around us. Um, In this book, sorry, Mark, let me jump back here for a second. I jumped off course, but it continues to say Mark Eaton is a man that you would want to be in a foxhole with, and when all when all heck breaks loose, you can count on him. Every day, all day, he took me under his wing 34 years ago and has never wavered in his commitment to me in any way. I'm honored to be included as one of his friends, John Stockton. Man, that was a powerful forward. 
Mark. It was in the book. Know, John, John, John will kind of surprise you sometimes. You know, he's uh, he's a pretty deep thinker, and uh, really appreciated that he was willing to do that for me. So, because it really helped set the tone for a book. And you know, you and I both know he was one. Of, he was probably our favorite teammate, and uh, great guy to play with, and great competitor, and and uh, just same thing. Understands the game from a different perspective that not all people see when they just watch a game on TV or even in person. So, Mark, before we get into um, these four commitments, obviously you had a pretty interesting story that got you to the point, to the, to that point. So I, I want to kind of break that down for people to understand, um, one, what you were committed to back then, and then how uh, some persistence actually got you to to take a risk. How far back do you want to go? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's go back as far as you want to. Well, you, you know, I think most people are familiar with the early story of, uh, you know, being an auto mechanic at age 21 and never playing basketball before. And and a junior college coach who convinced me to give it another try and taught me the basics. Um, uh, but I think the persistence part really came later when I was at UCLA and I wasn't playing very much and sitting on the end of the bench and um, and my junior college coach telling me, hey, look, if you're not going to play in the games, you're going to have to practice your, your games. You're still going to be the first guy to practice and the last one to leave. And um, taught me that through persistence and just continuing to work on my game and master certain parts of it, that I would have a chance to try out at the next level. And it, and I couldn't see it at that point in time. I was really frustrated. And, and um, you know, you all, we all want to be a star when we go to college and play basketball. And, and I was anything but. Um, but I did continue to work. I listened to them. And then when I finally got the opportunity to try out for the Jazz, um, you know, I had done enough work where Frank Layden, the coach, was like, you know, you're kind of rough, but uh, you're 7'4". Hey, I'll take a chance on you. I'll I'll give you a contract for one year and let's see what happens. And um, and it was through that, you know, his commitment to me, I said, all right, I'm going to double down and work even harder because I want to stay in the NBA. I don't just want to be a one-and-done kind of guy. I want to, I want to get here and, and figure it out. And, and together we were able to, you know, they made some changes to the team. They brought in some new players like Big T, Thurl Bailey. And, um and together we made something out of it, but um, it was really through persistence all the way around, and it became kind of a, a building block, I think, of the culture of the jazz going forward. Well, Mark, it also took some persistence um, and also someone else recognizing some particular potential in you early, in particular uh, Coach Tom Lubin. Am I correct? Yeah, and and Coach Tom was that co- coach in junior college who um, who came around the corner one day and saw me working at this tire store and was like, what the heck is a seven foot four guy doing working at this tire store? And, uh, and started in, in his persistence. And, uh, you know, I, I, everybody that came into the tire store talked to me about basketball, right? I mean, you've experienced the same thing. And, um, after a while it gets really annoying. I'm like, no, I'm not a basketball player. I'm here working on the cars. You need your car fixed. Let me know. And I'd, I'd get kind of, you know, irritated with yeah. people because, because they just drive me crazy. I'm like, look, do you want me to look at your brakes or not? Like, you know, like, uh, you want me to fix your carburetor or not? And um, uh, and so uh, it was really Coach Tom who came in and said, look, I know some things about being a big guy, 
that you don't know about how to play basketball from that perspective. And I'd never experienced that before. And after much cajoling on his part, I finally said, okay, I'll go out with you for a half an hour so you can show me what this is about, and then hopefully you'll leave me alone and I go back to work. And, and in doing that, um, you know, he, he opened my eyes to a part of the game of basketball that I never knew about, which was how to play as a five-man, how to play as a big guy, how to play in the paint, and some simple little moves that I could do without dribbling that I could, that I could use uh, to my advantage and use my height to my advantage. And that was a real eye-opening day for me because I was like, wow, I had no idea this part of the game of basketball existed. And, and not only that, but he said, look, if, you, if you're willing to work with me, I'll be here for you every day. I'll come pick you up after work. We'll go to the gym. Uh, we'll spend a couple hours just kind of working out and seeing how this goes. And I was like, wow, like you do that for me? Like that part of the commitment was just so huge uh, that that really gave me the, the confidence to at least try it and see what it was all about. And he was there every night, and uh, and slowly but surely, it was like, well, we tried this. We did worked on some footwork. We worked on some ball handling. We, you know, worked on the the low post moves. And it was like, after a while, I was like, well, maybe I could try this. Maybe I could go back to junior college and give this a whirl. But it was really through his persistence and his commitment to me that gave me the the confidence to take a chance on myself. Well, Mark, I have this vision of because uh, I. I... I pretty much know that the car lifts didn't go at that high. I, I can see you <laughs> changing some tires on the car and sticking way out. So when Tom, Coach Tom Lubin drove by, he just saw this long figure underneath the car. But what a great story. <laughs> well, well, that's a Frank story that he created, I think. But actually, in, in reality, um, it was a really busy intersection. And uh, I was in the parking lot down next to the corner talking to this uh, pretty short woman about uh, her car and that's when he spotted me because um, like, I stood out obviously on, the, on a, a big intersection on the corner and uh, but yeah it was it was not easy working on cars being seven feet tall that's for sure it was but it was just something I knew how to do and and I'd gone to trade school for it my father was a diesel mechanic and so it was kind of in my blood and um, but apparently not my life's calling <laughs> apparently not so hey we're going to take a quick break right here, Mark, and we're going to come back and dig really deep into these four commitments. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.
Welcome back, everybody. We are pleased to be joined by Mark Eaton, NBA All-Star, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and author, mind you, talking about his book, The Four Commitments of a Winning Team. Uh, The guy is just busy as all get out now and just sharing his passionate message with companies, the likes of IBM, FedEx, Caesars Entertainment, Big Old Tires. Huh, Big Old Tires. That, that probably One of my in. favorites. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Mark, let's go ahead and, and tackle commitment number one. Know your job. What's going on with that? So, well, so one of the things I find in business that was true in basketball is that everybody's always running around trying to do this, that, and the other thing, uh, doing a lot of things we're not supposed to be doing and instead of focusing on what we're really good at. And, um, and I challenge people in my presentation to dig back into who you are as a person. Uh, what are your character traits and skills that you already possess that you could leverage more? Uh, and, and the story that goes with it is that when I was at UCLA and I wasn't playing, sitting on the end of the bench, uh, we'd play the, in the, the summer league. And as you well know, you know, growing up, like that's how you, that's how you got better. You went to find the better games, the right. best players and try to challenge yourself to improve. And the, the men's gym at UCLA, all the players in Los Angeles showed up there every day to, to play against one another. I mean, and they were literally like NBA all-star games because like magic was there and Norm Nixon, all these great Laker players. And, uh, and I played in the games and, you know, and I kind of struggled keeping up with the faster, younger, you know, they weren't younger, but the, the faster players, and trying to find my spot out there in the court because the game moves so fast. You know those pickup games, man. It's just like the ball's moving up the court, shot's taken, back down the other end, shot's taken. It's like it's a lot to keep up with. And if you're not a guard, you can kind of struggle in those in those pickup games. And so one day I'm, I'm running up down the floor, and, there, and there's this guy on the other team who became my teammate later named uh, Rocket Rod Foster. And he's like, you know, just blitzkrieg speed going up and down the floor. And, um, and I can't catch him. I, I'm barely getting over half court, and he's scoring a basket. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing out here. And I'm taking a break for a minute on the sidelines and, and just kind of holding my shorts and, you know, just thinking, I don't know if I can, if I can play at this level. This is just too hard. And, and all of a sudden I feel this big mitt on my, hand, on my shoulder, this big hand, and I turn around and it's Wilt Chamberlain. And Wilt had... Uh, lived up above UCLA in Bel Air, and he would come down every afternoon and still hoop with the young guys. And even after playing an entire NBA career and everything else he did, he could still play pickup basketball, which still blows me away. And then he'd go play volleyball after that down at the beach. And and he grabbed me and he's look, he's like, look, young fella. He goes, first of all, you're never going to catch that guy. And he said, more <laughs> importantly, it's not really your job. And I was like, what? And uh, he said, come here. And so he, he grabbed me, and he took me out of the court, and he, he put me right in front of the basket. He goes, you see this basket behind you? He goes, your job is to stand here and block shots. Your job is to stop the other players from getting to the basket, collect the rebound, and then throw it up to the guard, let them go down the other end and score it, and then your job is to kind of cruise up to half court and see what's going on. And I was like, really? Like, wow. Like, it was this big light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing out here. And, um, and it was a real uh, kind of, you know, uh, incredible experience for me because it took the mystery out of this game of basketball and broke it down into a simple, repeatable step that I could do day in and day out 
that wasn't reliant on speed or getting quicker or faster, which I needed to do anyway, but I was never going to be as quick <laughs> as a, you know, one of the guards. Right. Um, but it was something I could do to help my team win. And so, um, you know, that, that little five-minute conversation, I said, all right, I'm going to focus on defense. I'm going to focus on helping my teammates. I'm going to focus on blocking shots. And, um, and, I, and that little five-minute conversation turned into a 12-year NBA career. Um, and, uh, and so that's the, 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 the genesis and, the, the, you know, kind of the, the overview of what I call knowing your job, focusing on one thing you're great at. And so I challenge people to stop thinking about their weaknesses and instead double down on their strengths. And, and if you can do more of who you already are, it makes life a lot easier than trying to figure out new things all the time. You're right. You can't be all things to all people. And to be able to focus on those strengths, I mean, you, you were the epitome of that. Uh, I know you saved my butt many times. Help me, help me, Mark, when my guy got by me. <laughs> so let's go yeah. to commitment number two. Do what you're asked to do. Uh, so commi- commitment number two, doing what you're asked to do, is um, a lot of times I think we don't really know what's expected of us. Like we don't take the time to ask our customers or ask our boss what it is we could be doing differently. And and you have to come from a place of, of strength in asking that question. Uh, but um, in, in basketball, it was like my when I was at UCLA and, and my junior college coach said, look, you know, you have to keep working. I committed myself to doing that. And I asked him every day, like, what else can I be doing? We wrote down a list of things for me to do every day. Like, you're going to do 100 hook shots and 200 bank shots and 100 free throws. And you're going to go run suicides. And you're going to go out on the track. And you're going to go in the weight room. You're going to do all these things. And, um, and I said, all right, if I'm going to get better, I know I have to do this stuff. And... In business, I think a lot of times we're afraid to ask. Like, you know, my wife was a, a sales manager for a large company in Salt Lake, and one of the first things she did when she got the job was she went with each sales rep out to the customers and said simply, hey, how are we doing for you? Like, you know, what's and, and the salespeople were just mortified that she would ask that question. But, um, but that's the only way you get the information you really need. And so I, I tell people, like, you know, it's, it's not about just going in and sitting down in front of the boss or customer and say, hey, you know, what, what could I do better? It's like, okay, you've got to come from that place of strength and saying, yes, uh, okay, I'm doing this. We're doing that. I'm focused on this. Is there anything else we could improve on? Is there any, anything else we should be more focused on? And then just sit back and listen because you might hear something you never knew about before uh, and we're afraid to ask. And, um, and so, and from a leader perspective, I think you've got to have that open door where, you know, you feel people feel comfortable coming in and asking those questions because otherwise we run around and just this, you know, what we think we should be doing, which could completely, completely, right. uh, completely be a 90 degree or 180 different direction, degree different direction than, than where you should be. So that's do, that's called doing what you're asked to do. I love it, Mark. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to clump these, these last two commitments together. Number three, make people look good, and number four, protect others. Because um, I know in the basketball world, you did it every single night, every single practice. But now you're taking this into the corporate arena. So explain those two. So this is really a, a twofold uh, in terms of being there for the people that you work with and letting them know that you have their back. It, it doesn't mean that you have to go out to dinner with them or you know hang out with them or anything like that. But when you're at work, uh, I think sometimes we does the team the, the term team gets overused in the work environment because people don't really understand what it means. What it really means is being there for the other people in your office and being there for your customers and taking care of them and 
you know, it's, yes, they still have to do their job and they have to be accountable. That's a part of the deal. But um, just letting people know that you have their back can make a huge difference uh, because, you know, everybody feels tenuous at work. And, you know, especially with all this crazy stuff going on now with the pandemic, it's even more important to let people know you care about them. You know, um, our daughter who works at an insurance company for Easter went out and bought like six or eight uh, meal kits from the restaurants, you know, this Easter dinner, and took them to four or five of her coworkers. Like, that's like such a cool thing to do. Right. And she didn't expect anything in return for it. It's just like a little act of service, a little act of kindness, and just letting know people that you that, that, that let them know that you've got their back. That's what it's about. Well, I like that, but uh, I know you protected me for years. Uh, how does that how do you um, translate that into corporate America? Business is built on relationships, and we do business with people that we like. And yes, you've got to bid on stuff, and there's uh, you know a lot of times there's some guy with a sharp pencil is making the decision. But by and large, people do business with people they care about. And if you will take the little extra time to just get in a little better relationship or understand who your customers are, who, you co- who, you, who your coworkers are, um, that's going to help create alignment. And as you know, T, the hardest thing in basketball is getting five guys on the court at the same time, all going the same direction. Um, but once you do that, man, you're on your way to go deep into the playoffs because you're firing on all cylinders. And it's built on relationships. Like, guys on our team, we didn't always go to dinner with everybody or hang out with other guys on the team. But when you stepped on that court, you became one unit. And um, that's being in the zone. That's being, that's you know, that's hitting the center of the bullseye. So taking a little extra time just to get to know each other uh, pays huge dividends uh, when it comes to really um, getting to the sweet spot in business, making the sale or pulling together the process uh, and everybody feeling like they're contributing and they're a part of it because it's not, you know, we all like money, but it, but it's really about that feeling of satisfaction, especially if you look at some of the younger generations. That's what floats their boat. That's what makes them tick. That's what they want to know. Am I making a difference? And, Mark, I know you had some, some great leaders, as I did, uh, throughout your basketball career, um, and I'm sure the same – is true in your business career. How important were those leaders? I mean, even if they were bad ones, um, how important were those leaders for you to obtain the information you needed? Because obviously one day you became that leader. Well, I think every step along the way, if you're open to it, the the right people are around you. You just have to take a step back and, and, and notice that. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches didn't like Frank Layden, or a lot, not a lot of coaches, a lot of players didn't like Frank, and you and I both both know, experienced that um, in the early years of the Jazz because they're like, oh, I'm not getting enough shots, I'm not getting enough playing time, I'm not this. But Frank was building something bigger. He's like, no, we're building a culture. We're building a culture of being there for each other. And if we do that and we start winning, everything else will follow. And a lot of people didn't have that more long uh, view of it. And um, so Frank taught us how to be professionals. He taught us how to get ready to come to work every day. He used a lot of his background from being, a, you know, in the Army and from being a high school teacher and things like that to help us understand what was really important. Uh, and then Jerry Sloan takes what he built and takes it to the next level. 
and says, all right, you guys have a good foundation here. Now I'm going to turn up the heat. I'm going to demand more from you every day on a daily basis. And so it was like at every step along the way in our careers, the next leader came along. The next thing was put in place, which challenged us to go one step further in our evolution. And I think that I think those are more available to people than we know. I think the leaders are there. I think there's people around you who've been successful that you can learn from. And our job is to, to pay attention to that and listen. I love it, Mark. Powerful stuff, my man. How can people pick up the four commitments and how can they get a hold of you if they, they want a, a great speaker? Uh, you bet. The, uh, the book's available on Amazon and uh, it's the easiest place to pick it up or barnesandnoble.com. And uh, my website is 7foot4.com. It's the easiest place to find me or just Google Marky and you'll find me. I'm not hard to find on social media. I know how to find you, big fella. Hey, I sure appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, man. I appreciate well, you coming on the show and teaching us about uh, well, epitome of teamwork. Well, thanks, Tian. Thanks for being my teammate, buddy. You got to be my brother. Help me. Help me, Mark. My guy just beat me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us, Mark. And thank everybody for listening right, on this episode. Um, take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.